Good, you can hear me? All right. Um, my name's Ariel Spivak, and I'm one of the founders of MyTown. Simply put, MyTown is the best solution for groups of people ordering together. Since we started, about three years now, our mission has been clear. We want to help local businesses, we want to simplify group ordering, and we want to help charities fundraise. And that's what we've done. MyTown is an online marketplace that lets you shop local places, local products, and local deals. And you can do so both individually, as you do now with online ordering applications, or together as a group in one shopping cart, and you can split payments accordingly. MyTown brings the experience of socializing and shopping in the real world to a digital platform. And it does so in a convenient and free So, before I tell you guys more about the application, I'd like to ask a question. Why do we eat pizza at every meetup? <laughs> and Aaron, by the way, thank you for the pizza. It's really good. Um, I'm sure everyone here agrees. Um, we do so because it's easy. Now, I'd like to pretend for a second that Aaron was a nice guy. Aaron, join us. Pretend you're a nice guy. And Aaron wants to buy us all dinner. There's 75 people here, right? So how does Aaron do that? Does he go around and ask everybody what they want and then somehow write that down and then figure out how to place the order later? Does he send out an email blast and try to collect the information that way? No, he doesn't do that. He's not gonna do that. Those are all terrible options. Hence, we get pizza. But pizza doesn't have to be the only good solution for large groups of people ordering together, thanks to my time. So let me tell you more about how it works. MyTown allows you to search through and select, as I said, either a local place, product, or deal. Then you can send invitations to whomever you'd like to join you on the order. It's essentially an endless amount of people. Then you figure out how you'd like to pay for the order. As the order creator, you can either choose to pay for the entire order yourself, or you can have everyone pay for only the items that they've added to the cart, or you can just have the entire order split evenly amongst all the people in the order. So if Aaron had my town, and he was a nice guy, which Aaron, you are, he'd be a lot more likely to buy us dinner because all he has to do is pick a place, invite all of us onto the order, and he's done. It's that easy, the rest is up to us. So who benefits most from the use of group ordering? Everyone does. Coworkers can use it to facilitate lunch orders. Um, office managers can use it to facilitate an entire business lunch, whether it's 50 people or 1,000 people. The process is the same. Pick a place, invite everybody on, and you're done. It's that easy. I benefit from it. I'm about to throw a Super Bowl party next weekend, and there's no way I'm buying everybody food and beer. So I'm going to start a group order, invite everybody that's coming to my house onto it, and I'm done. It's that easy. So as we continue to develop, we're coming out with a slew of features that'll make group ordering simpler and more convenient. Some of them are things like being able to recommend places and products directly to your friends within the app. You'll be able to integrate orders with social media events, like for example, a Facebook event that I started for my Super Bowl party. You'll be able to set spending limits. So if you're a boss and you wanna buy an entire office lunch, let's say, and you want everyone to spend no more than $15 because you're paying for it, you'll be able to do that. And the list goes on and on and on and on. So in summary, my town is a win-win for everyone that's involved. It's good for the businesses that we provide orders for. It's good for the users because it's a simple, easy experience. And it's good for the charities that we help 
fundraise for. But it could be even better. And we need your help. We want feedback. We want you guys to download the app, tell us what you think, start the largest group order that has ever been in existence digitally. Um, we want interns to help uh, contact and onboard charities and nonprofits, both national and local. We're looking to onboard sales associates to help with merchant acquisition. And most importantly, if there's any charities or nonprofits that you guys are personally involved in, we'd really love you to contact us, let us know. We'd love to work with them. Um, that's it. I wanted to keep it short and sweet, and I'd like to open the floor up to uh, some questions and answers. Thank you. Yes. Yes. It's the same thing. So let's say, um, you know, a product can be anything. Let's say uh, we do tickets to an event um, and you'd like to purchase those tickets. You can select those tickets as the product. You then go to your phone book and you invite whoever you want or consider joining you. They then see what you're purchasing. You select how you'd pay for it, either yourself, you can have everyone pay for their own, you can split it evenly, so on and so forth. So whether it's products, whether it's deals like coupons or gift certificates, it essentially works the same way. You pick what you want, you invite people to join you, and that's it. You're welcome. Good question. Yes? What markets are we in? We currently operate in North Jersey, Brooklyn, and Florida. Uh, we are in beta. We're available in the App Store and iOS, and our Android app is actually going live tomorrow. Um, so we're very much soft launch. We haven't opened the floodgates at all. We haven't done active marketing for users. Uh, we are operating, but we're only operating uh, to, with users that we've actually invited onto the uh, app. And now you guys, hopefully. Uh, any other questions? How does the charity work? Are you looking to uh, work materially? Yes, so with every order that gets processed, you, your user profile is associated with a charity. And we, on behalf of your order, donate a percentage of that order to that associated charity. Now, if you don't want to have the same charity all the time, you can choose to select different charities as often as you'd like, uh, which works really well for organizations that have fundraising goals, like let's say Greek Life and things like that, fraternities, sororities, certain athletic teams, et cetera. Um, any other questions? Yes. Do you share the donor information with the participating charity? Sorry, do we share what information? We do not share the donor information, no. We do so if it is an organization that has fundraising goals. We make sure that organization gets credited for those donations in order for them to meet their goals. Um, but if it's just an individual, we do not. It's an interesting question, though. Yes? What's your funding history like? What have you guys raised so far? So funding history. So first investors were actually our developers. We were self-funding for a while. Our development team is out in Florida and Boca. They're great if anyone, uh, I know there's a lot of developers here and a lot of development teams, but they're really great. I highly recommend them. So if you have any need, just ask. Um, they've invested in us. They've been developing for quite a while uh, for some equity uh, instead of being paid for it. And then we also did another round of funding kind of internally through friends and family in order to get Android um, out as well. Um, but that's it. We haven't really done any major financing other than that. And now we're, we didn't want to purposely, and now that we have two platforms, uh, we're kind of interested in, in exploring that option again. If it's more than just the financial infusion, we want a strategic partnership as well. Yes? Uh, 
Uh, so orders get to them through email and or fax, depending on what they'd like to receive, um, until we actually have a platform that they just simply use, which is essentially going to be very similar to email anyway. Um, and we're onboarding merchants um, by contacting them, uh, both through telemarketing and troops on the ground, which is why we're looking to onboard more sales associates, because we want to onboard more merchants. Simple as that. That's a good question as well. Thank you. Um, any, anyone else? Yes. Last one? Okay. Do you see merchants potentially adding this functionality to their own websites and apps, thus no longer potentially needing you? I doubt it. It was pretty freaking hard. <laughs> Good luck, though. All right. We'll end there. So hang on for a second. So yes. um, after having run 80 of these and pitched a lot myself, I think one of the... the um, a skill that's not often talked about is the ability to speak in front of a crowd and to actually pitch your business. That's why we bring in Eleanor from a pitch or a presentation coaching company that I'm murdering, you'll tell them what you do, to critique each of the presentations tonight. So she gets the last word with each presentation. And by the way, they're competing for the Audience Choice Award, which is this trophy repurposed from my camp years in 1990. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm gonna come up on stage with you, but don't go away. There are a few new people here tonight, so I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Eleanor Handling. You can probably tell from my accent that I'm from Jersey. <laughs> Kidding, I'm from Australia, but I work for a company called GK Training and Communications. The G and the K in that stand for genuine know-how. And our whole philosophy is about giving people repeatable, actionable tools, physical tools that they can implement to come across as their most authentic, genuine, and impactful selves. So, you're looking at my notes. <laughs> Ariel, I thought this was great. So most of what you're looking at is very, very positive. One thing I want to point out that happened is you made your cross across the stage, which is always a daunting moment before you're about to speak in front of people, is I don't know whether consciously or unconsciously you took a great big breath. Did anyone notice? You went... <sighs> Highly recommend that for everybody. If you take one thing away from tonight, Remember to breathe. If you do nothing else before you start, give yourself enough oxygen in your lungs to calm yourself physiologically, but also to slow you down. Which brings me to my next point. I thought you had a great pace, particularly in the prepared section. I thought it was nice, clear, you had a strong tone, we could hear everything you said, and I think you'll all agree with me, he came across as his authentic self. We felt like we were getting the real version of Ariel. <laughs> you had great eye contact. I felt a strong connection to us, including us in the story. I thought it was really nice. The references to the pizza and Aaron. We felt like we were part of this spontaneously happening tonight in the moment. I'm nitpicking here because it was strong. I want you to look at your prepared content. There's a word you use at the start of every single paragraph. Does anyone know what it is? So, did someone say that? So, not a capital P problem, but if you look, completely unnecessary every single time. Probably most of you didn't even notice, but what happens to the human ear when we hear something again and again and again is it starts to diminish in impact. So just look for that. Again, that's nitpicky. I do now want to look at what happened, though, when you started answering questions, which is more the impromptu side, right, which is when all the stress level starts to get a little bit more like, am I going to know what to say? The temperature starts to rise. And a couple of little ticks came in. Again, very little. Did anyone? It was just this, right? I'm just going to do this. 
because I got a bit of extra energy, so I'm just going to dissipate it by moving about like this. Again, not a major problem. We all have been up here. We all know what it's like. But again, if you can take that breath, if you can just calm yourself and steady yourself before you answer every question, you're also going to eradicate the other thing that happened, which was a number of little ums started to creep in, which again, not a capital P problem, but you don't need them. Overall, very good job. Well done starting us off. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your time. You're up. Isn't this fun? Go ahead. Hi, my name is Yu. Uh, maybe you'll find me Japanese from my accent. Um, I'm a co-founder and then CEO of Keep. Um, Keep helps technicians and engineers to use the voice commands to bring the technical manual and instructions to life, which means that if, um, more productivity in work and less errors. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to assemble an IKEA furniture? I think you did good if it didn't end up like this. So this shows that um, instructions are hard to follow and easy to make an error. And that is the same for the professionals too. I want to skip this slide. Um, flight delays are annoying, but it's also expensive. It cost $22 billion in the United States only. And the biggest cause of that is, isn't weather, that's human errors. So that no matter how experienced or skilled or knowledgeable, human makes errors. So the technical documentation that tells how to do and what to do should support. But today, most companies still use something static forms such as the PDF. Um, interesting piece of story that we keep our company applied to um, Volkswagen Innovative Scouting Competition last year. And luckily, we were selected one of the best and invited to the factory tour in Germany. And uh, my partner and the CDO of Keep fly to Leipzig in Germany and then saw how Polishay Macon was produced. It's like, a, he said, it's like a future. It's like a movie, a heavily automated, a lot of robots working, but people are still using paper and a pen to fill in the form. And I was like, yes, that's where we can be the first one and the leader. So our solution is an interactive smart speech interface. And this is supported by three different types of artificial intelligence. Maybe you have heard about machine learning. Yes. And the natural language understanding. That understands what you mean and what you want. And there is another piece of artificial intelligence that's called dialogue management in return to what the system understands that makes uh, decisions on how to respond intelligently. So that the KEEP has deep understanding knowledge about each task so that the user can use it hands-free and even eyes-free and be guided interactively and dynamically to complete the procedure no matter how complex it is. So the impact actually, like uh, what is like before and after KEEP? So without keep, the engineers have to stop working hands and use a hand to tap 
or scroll up and down or type to retrieve or to input the information. But with Keep, you can simply talk to that, like uh, uh, show me something, or ask more meaningful questions such as what is acceptable pressure range here, or temperature range here, or what was um, last time the measurement. The market is huge enough. In the United States alone, there are more than 15 million jobs that use technical documentations. And the timing is perfect. The speech interface is expected everywhere that expect more um, the productivity, work productivity. And AI is the hottest in the investment industry too. And we know in which market that we can be the first mover and the winner, which is about technical documentation. And we have a strong team. The founding team is me and actually my husband, Matthias. We founded our first startup company 10 years ago. And then our past clients include Ford and GM and NASA so that our technology is pretty much market proven. So currently, we have um, minimum viable products ready. And I'm working really hard on the customer development and the B2B sales. So in sum, Keep is a company who invented and owned all the core technologies, including AIs. And the team is strong and having longer than 10 years experience working together. And our target markets are sizable, like it's big enough and that's where that we believe that we can be the first one and the winner. And we have the business model with the high scalability. And uh, thank you very much. And if you have any questions, I'm really happy to have that. Thank you. Okay, that's first we were thinking of a B2B consultation so that we just let the user use that and the per transaction and the we charge or could be like per company. It depends the size and the type of the business. Yes. How do you process the manual? Yes, there is. Um, the technical manual standard is called S1000D, and that was developed for the aircraft and the military, the airline uh, aircraft maintenance. And if the documentation was based on that, we can uh, almost automatically feed that. But if the documentation isn't based on that standard, currently that we have to do that manually. But we are now developing the algorithm so that even though that the documentation is not on the standards, they're gonna be automatically feed in the future. I'm sorry, there, there's one before. Um, do you have to use a computer to access it, or can you access it using a wearable or Amazon Echo or something like that? Amazon Echo, we didn't think about that. Uh, currently, that, that's working on the Windows, and then we are developing the system on the iOS, but wearable is our next target because the, our strength is a hands-free working, so that the wearable glasses or you know the smartwatches are really good fit for us. Yes. What inspired you to come up with this idea? Actually, uh, 
my partner and um, husband, Matthias, who is the CDO and who invented all, he was a researcher doing that over 20, 25 years, and then he was working in academic area as a postdoc, but he said, hey, I, I want to be independent. And I quit the job and joined this company. <laughs> so, and then you had a question. Okay, that's the way that the artificial intelligence strings are coming out. Um, the dialogue manager has a capability that generates the response on the, on the real-time basis. That means that that can ask you back when something is not clear. So that, for example, that uh, you are building a care bookshelf and you don't know that which screw to use. And they said, uh, which screw to use? And the system asks you that, uh, which part are you working on, and you say uh, board or leg or something, then system say then screw number something. And this works on the more complicated background better, like uh, um, like airplane maintenance or so. Does, do I answer your question? Oh no, the, the old information was fed by the original documentation so that the system doesn't have anything more than that. Yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Big clap, right? Big clap. You, you dropped the ball there, Ramel. <laughs> I thought this was fantastic and you, thank you, you demonstrated something really powerful that I harp on about for those of you who've been here before and that's transparency. It's amazing the latitude people will give you if they know you're a little bit nervous, if you just share that. And it actually became quite humorous, right? You walked up and she went <sighs> and we're all in on the same joke because it's part of the narrative that we're building tonight. So we're with you then, and you did it another time too when you had finished and you kind of went like this. We've all been in this situation, so what that does is invite the audience to empathise with you. So I think it's an underutilised skill and one that you adopted naturally and in a humorous way. In fact, humour was a theme throughout this that I thought was very powerful. The IKEA thing, we've all been there, again, we're in the story, so that was great. The other transparent moment you had was when you said, I'm Japanese, so bear with me, right? Again, we would have picked that up, but something about you acknowledging it, and then you adjusting your pace to a way that made you eminently understandable was really strong. I want to encourage you, and this is my one tiny note, you have a lot of very technical material. There's a section where you start to get into the really nitty-gritty of what you're doing there's probably a tendency to want to speed up a bit there just to get through it, right? This is kind of the boring bit and it's technical and it's difficult, so I'm going to go a little bit faster. Do the opposite. Go slower than you were before. Take us with you through it. We'll, we'll hang in there with you. Tell us the story of it, because if you speed up, that's when we start to lose it. So that's my one little note. Great job.
Hello, I'm Ken. I'm the CTO of Vidya. Um, I did my bachelor's at Rutgers, New Jersey State. After that, I went to the opposite coast, the uh, Rutgers of the West Coast. Anyone? Stanford. Uh, computer science there. And then I did the opposite, which is I came back to New Jersey to work on a tech company. So I built a family business, which is a cloud-based enterprise phone system. And we built that to 60 employees and 15 million in revenue per year. And we did that also the opposite of the West Coast uh, without VC and without any debt. Uh, so today I'm here to talk to you about uh, what we're doing at Vidya. So Vidya empowers creators. And by creators, I mean online video creators. Online video is the fastest growing segment of the advertising industry. And by empowering, I mean helping these creators make as much money off of their videos as possible. So maximizing the monetization for our creators. So starting in uh, late 2013, Vidya raised a seed round and built a web, a web platform to offer services to music video creators. And we helped them monetize, distribute, and promote their content. So originally that means getting better ad rates on YouTube through our partnership with Vivo. And it means promotional placement on places like MTV, VH1, BET. These artists wanna get on Vivo, they wanna get on MTV. That's their passion, and we are helping them do that with a, a web-based platform. Um, we've been fortunate, fortunate to work with uh, 120,000 users all across the world in 150 different countries. And we found great market fit. We had revenue on the first month. And we've been uh, fortunate to raise a Series C round at the end of last year from Connected VC as our lead and uh, Newark Venture Partners, who was mentioned, participated in that round. Now, um, while, while we see these music video creators as, um, as small businesses, and they have revenue, and we want to help them maxi maximize that revenue, so we've built a bunch of software for them. And, and while we're building software, we stumbled upon an interesting problem. We're trying to maximize their monetization. And what's happening is people are downloading the videos, and then sometimes they're doing something malicious. They're pirates, and they're re-uploading them and trying to monetize them for, them for themselves. Sometimes they're doing something constructive. They're downloading the video and creating something new and creative, and that's generating revenue. But either way, the original creator of the IP needs to get money for that, needs to monetize that. So while we started building software tools for this, we found resonance outside of music. We started seeing creators come to our platform that had all different types of videos. So today I'm gonna to talk to you about a case study. We call this guy the zebra guy, but uh, his channel is called Latest Sightings. He's in uh, South Africa and he does uh, um, animal wildlife videos. He might upload a video and It'll get, you know, he has a half a million subscribers, a video might get 20 million views. And with this, with this kind of views, he'll generate a lot of revenue from a video. Pirates will start downloading the video, like Lion vs. Crocodile, and re-uploading it. What this shows is that same video on many different channels. And sometimes, on all the different channels, the monetization there can actually make up for the lion's share of the revenue. So this guy's got a problem. He needs to monetize that in addition to his original content. So we built a variety of ways for creators to address this problem. They can log into the platform, import their videos, upload their videos, and what we try to make it 
we try to make it as easy as possible for them to import all their videos, protect their content, enable content ID on their videos. Now, this is great for YouTube, but what about the other platforms? The pirates are smart. You block them on YouTube, what they'll do is they'll download the content, they'll upload it on Facebook, they'll upload it on the European YouTube, Daily Motion, and they'll monetize it there. So our system needs to be smart too. It needs to be able to instantly download your videos wherever you might put them and monetize them on, face, on you know, Facebook, Daily Motion, block them on Facebook. Facebook actually isn't sharing revenues with creators yet. So you might want to block your video there and force them to view it on a platform where you are monetizing. One of the benefits of being a cross-platform is that a creator can go to YouTube, but they'll never see their daily motion analytics there. They'll never see their Facebook analytics there. And they need to make decisions about how to grow their business. They need to know how audiences are reacting across different platforms and compare them like different marketing channels. So they need to compare them side by side. So our Hootsuite for video or hub and spoke architecture allows you to do just that and gather data from all the places where your videos are monetizing and compare them. This allows video creators to maximize their revenue and when they maximize their revenue, we maximize ours. So video empowering creators. Thank you. Does anybody have questions? Yes, sir. Sure. So these, these video platforms, uh, YouTube really led the way, but a lot of them are following the model of having programmatic APIs, which means that I can write software that communicates information to these APIs, and they're really instructions on what to do if this content is detected on a particular platform. Yes, sir? Sure. Sure. Our business model, the majority of our revenue comes from the ads, the ads that play on the videos. Now, so it's a, it's a royalty share or a revenue split between the artist who gets most of the revenue and us who gets a, a share of the revenue for managing it. Um, YouTube, the ads are sold by an auction, a real-time auction. Vivo, the ads are sold by a sales team. As a result, you can get better better rates, better you know, costs per million views. Um, and different platforms have different mechanisms. That's correct. Yes, sir. If you set up a, a block policy, which would mean that anybody else re-uploads my video, block it and show that, that screen you've probably seen, this video and with a sad face. Yeah. So if you do that, then maybe the guy will search a little bit harder and find the original video. That's one outcome. Alternatively, the creator of the video might say, don't block it, monetize it, which means it can show up on another channel, but redirect the revenue to me. And that's the choice that most of our creators make, and that's the one that we encourage them to make. Yes, sir. Video, 
Absolutely. Uh, the, the breakdown of the rights of a particular video gets very complex. There's composition. You know, I wrote the music. There's the sound recording. I recorded it. And then there's the, the video itself. You know, so it has a soundtrack. And all those different rights can be broken down by territory and broken down by different percentage for owners. And as you go, if I make a big video and it, it's a big hit, I might sell different parts of the rights throughout the life of the video. So it is very complex. And the ease of being able to perform these tasks is a big part of the value add of our product. Thank you very much. Ken, this was very good. Let me ask you a question. Do you practice out loud? No. Not at all? Not really. Do you speak a lot in public? Yes. <laughs> the reason I ask is I think we all observe someone who appears very at ease. I have no idea how you are feeling internally. I don't actually care. It's not my business to care how you feel about it. <laughs> but it came across that you were very self-assured because for the most part, you were linguistically very precise, by which I mean he was very in control of his word choice. His ums and ahs were minimal. He had a nice resonant tone that reached to the back of the room. And mostly, you weren't in a hurry. We all saw something very slight but very powerful happen right at the beginning. He walked up and he said, hello, I'm Ken. Immediately, it was like, who's this guy and why does he feel so comfortable with himself? Maybe we'll listen a little bit more. That little bit of silence invited us all to sort of cock our heads and be a little bit more interested. And again, I don't know what your internal temperature was. Were you a little bit nervous? A little bit. Ah, we didn't know. And that's the point about these communication skills. They're physical. I can still myself. I can take a breath. I can slow my pace down. I can make sure everyone can hear me. I can be really in control of what I want to say next just by giving my brain enough time to think about it. So this was an excellent example of somebody who does this a lot, and that's, that's practice, let's be honest. Doing it a lot in public is what's going to help you get better and better. But in the meantime, we can use this as a model. Take a breath. Don't be afraid of silence. Take your time and you'll come across just as confident as Ken. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right. Nice job.